Hello, everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm Josh, and today I'm going to be talking about Into the Labyrinth by John Bierce. So let's attune to the magic of books. So, like I said, we're going to be talking about Into the Labyrinth. This is a seven-book series that was just completed recently as to when I'm recording this, so I'm really excited to read this whole series through. I have been reading this series as it goes on, and I'm going to do my best to not try and... I'm going to do my best to try not to spoil anything that happens in later books while, you know, still talking about the books as they happen. Of course, I might mess up, but uh, sorry, that's just kind of what you're going to get. So, first off, uh, this is definitely... I. <laughs> I always have such a hard time deciding whether a book is like, is this just an adult book or is this a young adult book? Because I read a lot of books, but I'm like, yeah, this totally works to be read as me as I'm an adult. So of course it's fine to be classified as an adult, but I think in general, this is more of a young adult book. And in a non-spoilery way, this plot, which I'm going to get to later, or at least the opening um, kind of setup is what I live for in a lot of books. Like I love this kind of book. Now in a non-spoilery way, this is a magic school setting. We're going to be following our main characters with multiple, you know, um, into school and kind of them figuring it out and learning stuff. I love this and I just love, I really enjoyed the book. It was a lot of fun. It's super easy to read. I breezed through it in a day and a half and it, it's a lot of fun. So let's just talk about, let's see, what can I, characters, let's talk about some characters here. I think the characters are well done. I think there's a reasonable reason for a lot of, uh, for their, a lot of their backstory, why they do things a certain way, why they act a certain way. Even looking at certain characters that won't be mentioned in this one, I think you can start to see some reasoning behind the things they're going to be doing in later books. So even though we get more of why they act a certain way in later books, we're going to see that now, kind of the start of that, or that those feelings are there, but they're maybe just a little bit more buried. And the writing style, I, I'm not going to say that... John Bierce is the most amazing, talented, unique writer ever, but I don't think his writing is bad in any stretch of the imagination. There was one instance where I found the exact same, I was reading it on an ebook, and when I clicked to the next page, there was the exact same seven words in the exact same spot. I thought that was just really funny, and it was a simple line like, it didn't occur to Hugh how much time had passed. And then the next one was like, it didn't occur to Hugh how much time had passed. Like something like that. I don't remember the exact wording, but it was exactly the same word for word. And I like, oh, that's funny. That's a little quirk. I, how do you even catch that though? You'd have to have an editor who has the exact same size phone using the exact same e-reader who had done the exact same thing, you know, and like clicked it to see that. And then they'd have to notice it. So like I said, I'm not a big, I'm not critical of this. I think his writing style is great. I think he does good work. I love the play with attunements that he's doing, which is the magic system. And it's just a little bit of a mini spoiler. I love the direction that he uses talking about language as a catalyst or like kind of the user not the user, but the uh, it really informs a lot of the magic system. And we'll get into that later. Not in this book, because I don't think it really it does not come up too much because we're just learning it. But in the next book, um, we'll see more of that. And I loved, uh, there's just so much that we got to talk about in later books that I can't talk about yet because we haven't heard about them. And for me to talk about it is a spoiler. Now, as far as the plot goes, I think this is a pretty typical, you know, standard school plot. Kid goes to school, kid's bullied, kid has hidden potential, maybe kid can't do the magic, then he gets the magic, he can do start doing stuff. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but you can't really do any of it even until the end of the book. And while this is like the standard, you know, school plot or like magic school, it's not just magic school plot. It's also got these other subplots going on and we're learning more about the world as an introductory first book. It's really amazing. I don't think this was the first book he ever published. 
Okay, I was wrong. I looked it up. It is the first book he published, and being the first book he published, and I'm pretty sure he self-published these through Amazon, it was quite a good book. I've read a lot of self-published books that are really bad. This one is not bad. This one is good. I love that part. I love that for it. And then as we move on to other kind of topics, my investment and my excitement while reading this was just, you know, sky high. We're learning about a new magic system. We're seeing what things can do and what things can't be done. We're learning all sorts of things through the other students. So, uh, and let's just put enjoyment right up at the top there, nine and 10. You know, I really enjoyed it. Had a hard time putting it down. Want to always keep reading it. Of course, that's just, that's how I am with books. So that's what you're going to get. So let's talk some spoilers here. Our main character, Hugh of Emblem. He was a first year student at Skyhold, which is a magical university, magical academy. He's being picked on. He can't do magic. Every time he tries, it just fails. Uh, basically, it comes down to the choosing ceremony where a master or masters will choose their students. He's kind of like, well, I'm not going to get picked. I don't have any family. Nothing's going to happen. You know, I'm going to just get more depressed. And it was a little bit heavy, kind of on the depressing side of things. But I think that's partially just the character, Hugh of Emblem, and his his kind of traumas and things he's gone through in the past. And it's also part something else, part Bakori, who is the demon underneath Skyhold, living in the labyrinth, trying to break through, but he's been stopped by the school, right? Trying to influence you because as we learn later in the book now this is sorry full spoilers for the whole book of course because i you know guys me know me i can't just talk about parts of it and not spoil everything so we're going full spoilers here Hugh is a warlock which means he is unattuned until he forms a warlock pact and then after he forms a warlock pact he gets certain attunements based on what he who he packs with or what he packs with now attunements if you're unsure because you don't know are kind of the magic system. If you have an iron attunement, you have your mana or your aether can affect iron and you can use that. And basically there's unfiltered mana or pure mana all around you. Your body takes it in, changes it to your attunements, and then you use it to do certain things. So basic ones are like wind or water or fire or lightning or other things. And then there are dream or bone tablets or, you know, uh, warlock, stellar, solar. There's a lot of different, you know, poison. There's a lot of different things. And in later books, we'll talk about how the magic changes that and makes it work. The more specific your attunement is, the stronger it is over that piece versus the more general it is the broader things you have control over but the weaker your control is compared to somebody else with a specific one so for example we can talk about godric who is one of their friends he is he becomes their friend throughout the book he has a a stone uh, attunement and he has a steel attunement and his father has an iron and stone now steel uses iron to be made it just if i'm wrong on these facts please just know that i'm not remembering everything exactly right and I'm not a science uh, blacksmithing man, so I'm doing my best to remember. But basically, Godric has better control over the steel than his father does, like with his control over iron. Now, his father's much more experienced, so he can still give him a little bit of a run for his money. But because Godric is steel, he can, you know, grab that much easier because it's more specific versus iron, which encompasses a lot of other things. So he is chosen. We'll go back to Hugh for a second. Hugh is chosen by our our main man, uh, Alustan. Uh, He's so fun. He's just always talking and doing thing, crazy things and running about. And he's like, okay, well, you can't do form casting, talking to Sebe, because she can't do her weather magic at a distance because of her healing affinity, which basically limits you to really close to your skin because you don't need to, you know, heal people 10 miles away. You need to do it right here in front of you. Uh, so again, back to the magic a little bit. The way you create magic or you do magic is you channel a kind of a symbol in your mind and that 
lets the mana flow through that and affect what you want to affect. Formless casting is basically doing it without the form. And this is one thing that just always gets me in books. And it's not like it gets me bad, but it's just something that I'm always like, geez, every person in this world must be a ridiculous genius of unparalleled level for anyone to memorize multiple shapes that, yeah, I mean, granted, they're going to use this shape every day. Maybe it's just like, you know, how I remember geometry and stuff that they're not learning, but they're also supposedly learning regular subjects, geometry, math, history, language, science, to whatever extent they are. But like trying to just be like, okay, you're going to memorize 15 generic shapes and structures and flows or more. And that's what you're going to use. You know, I'm like, I can't, I am not that good at memorizing things, right? Like eventually you can pound something into my head and I'll figure it out, but it takes a while or I have to be using it every single day. Granted with magic, they're probably using it every single day, but at the same time, that's just so much to be memorizing. You know what I mean? Like, and to be absorbing. So I I just, that's one minor nitpick of a lot of books and a lot of series that do the same thing. So no worries. But we talked about Sabay a little bit. The other person that has been chosen is uh, Talia. She is a member of Clan Castus, which is a kind of renowned group of fire mages. Unfortunately, she has these fire ta- these uh, tattoos, attunement tattoos that make her incre- uh, control over fire incredible. Very strong, very powerful. Unfortunately, she has no fire attunement. She only has a dream attunement and a bone attunement. Now, this is one thing that's a little weird to me, which touches on knowledge a little bit more in the back in the later books, but not too much. There are you can generally be born with attunements, but occasionally you can be taught attunements. And I don't know all the specifics of being taught an attunement. Obviously, I guess just Talio couldn't have been taught the fire magic or the fire attunement or like worked on it enough. But theoretically, if you work hard enough with a specific principle or a specific thing and doing aether related things with it, you can awaken an attunement into yourself. So Godric, as we talked about, already has um, scent, iron and stone, I think is what it's called. And the names are actually very important versus, you know, stone versus iron. So uh, we'll get into that, why it's important later. But let's just kind of finish out this plot. They're going through their the rest of their first year because this is halfway. We kind of are skipping over their classes a little bit, but we're still learning the things that they're learning. Um, Sabe is learning to channel wind all around herself so that the wind is staying within that inch or two control that she has, where she's learning how to release it and use it. Talia is being able to manifest dream fire, which works like a fireball, but instead of, it's a dream, so it does weird things to you. It, it'll aid you, it'll chop you up into little dicing things. Now, in this book, I think John Beers does rely a little bit on just a couple things. It either freezes or burns or ages you or does one other thing I don't remember and in later books it does expand out to do like more things like a dream because dreams are not always the same but in this book I think where he's still working it out it's mostly like the dream fire does one of these four things and it's played as a laugh occasionally where it's like oh this dream fire it actually just burned the target like regular fire these are of course the minutest the smallest of nitpicks that I'm picking at here and I'm not trying to to ding on the book I'm just that's something I noticed as I was reading so let's talk about the end of the book here we're getting close to the end of the book the end oh well we have to talk about the library Alustin is a mage errant he goes out and collects books for the library or the great index that's in skyhold and he is recruiting them to kind of also be these mage errants and to do this work as well and to be battle mages because sometimes you have to fight hard to be to do this right so for their final test of the year they have to enter into the labyrinth which is below skyhold and we don't really know a lot about the labyrinth other than it's a magical labyrinth it changes its direction and shape roughly stays the same based on what level you're on first level not too difficult worse as you go down obviously point is to get to the middle of the 
labyrinth on the first floor, get a token, and get back. Along the way, they're attacked by creatures and traps, and unfortunately, our crew, Hugh, Talia, Sabe, and Godric, all fall down to the sixth layer, where the demon is. Turns out the demon's been influencing events to get them to where he can use them. He wants to bond with Hugh, because that'll give him a very good advantage, but obviously Hugh doesn't want to. Hugh ends up bonding with what he thinks is the library index because he can bond with anything sentient. Turns out he ended up bonding with Kander and Crux, who is a sphinx, a giant sphinx. 75 foot, you know, from like nose to tail. And her wings are like twice that size and made of crystal. Oh, it's just it's a crazy good image and view in your mind. And she's like, well, you're here now and now you have some affinities. So let's talk about them. You have your stellar affinity, which is kind of like stars and solar, but different than solar. And this is where we start to see a little bit of like the word that represents your affinity changes what your affinity kind of does or how it refreshes kind of things. She's like, that's very dangerous. It's very powerful, but you're going to have to... You're not going to use it too often then you have your crystal affinity and so he's going to be crystal will be Hugh's main affinity as we see going through the series and I of course know this it's very versatile very support a little bit of attack a little bit of defense and then we also have a dimensional or labyrinthal or planar attunement able to create extra dimensional spaces that's so cool so exciting because you know we're just excited to see what happens of course they're rescued they brought back out of the labyrinth this he doesn't learn about his attunities that he learns about them after the fact and they pass their first year and they're getting on to their second year and we're going to follow them and it's going to be really good i liked the there's a lot of things i liked in this book the subtleness of bakori's influence where he's like no you you know amplify these feelings of self-doubt because you can't do the magic as well because you're a warlock and you know because he's from emblem where there's no magic or there's no aether basically he unconsciously just dumps way more mana into it which burns out a lot of spells so you know he's learning but he's not getting anything and then the depression that kind of strikes him and the the realness of his interactions with his friends where he's like i'm you know i get super depressed he's like i had a fight they're not going to want to be friends but then they kind of make up later and he's like and the way they don't pressure each other like oh come on hugh i said i'm sorry like be fine with it like those were really good points and really nice to see in a book where it's kind of teaching like hey this is like a real thing that can happen or like this is a real boundary like don't just kind of overrun your friend and be like hey you know i'm sorry now you have to feel better and forgive me immediately like we could just sit and talk or just sit and do nothing but like i'm here for you so all in all i really like into the labyrinth by john beers we're definitely going to continue on with the series that's going to wrap up my discussion of into the labyrinth by john beers thanks everybody for listening thanks to david hillowitz for the intro and outro music of course if you have any questions comments book recommendations you know please send those to libromancypod at gmail.com please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from on your favorite podcatcher it really helps out and helps other people find it and remember to attune to the magic of books <laughs>